painting to photography, from beadwork to woodworking. KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University presents Artbeat. Artbeat highlights the work and accomplishments of local artists from in and around Winona. Support for Artbeat is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Welcome back to part two of our interview with artist Dwight Huang, featuring KQAL's Giovanni Bermudez and KQAL's VJ Heron, here on Artbeat. Gyotaku is a traditional Japanese form of art using real fish to paint a picture. Dwight Hang, a California-based artist, creates these beautiful art pieces and will be joining us on Artbeat this week to talk about his paintings. He recently had an exhibit at the Minnesota Marine Art Museum in Minnesota. I'm VJ Heron, joined by KQAL Giovanni Bermudez with Dwight Hang on Artbeat. Well, if you're, uh, if you're open for our interview right now, I'm actually joined in here by another interviewer, uh, uh, yeah. Ventress. Yeah, how you doing, Dwight? Ventress. Yeah. Uh, some of your artworks, well, a lot of them, I noticed at least three that were a result of what you just mentioned, the, uh, the death by acid. The I'm sorry, say it again. It was yeah, oh, demoic acid. Right. Uh, there was another one about a sea lion that died of a very similar uh, uh, issue. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So demoic acid is something that happens naturally, um, but the it it's confounded by um, the, the warming waters, changing climate, and things that are dumped into the ocean. I mean, that's how I understand it. I'm not a scientist. I'm just, you know, trying to um, remember what the the scientists tell me. But basically, it's human activity that that makes it even worse. Um, And it's this chemical that um, I think it's it's produced by the algae, and, and then it permeates into, like, shellfish and other small fish, and then sea mammals and even people if they were to eat this um, contaminated uh, whatever then like the effects can range between anywhere from like um, paralyzation to to death um, yeah and and so um, like all these years all it's apparently worse in the summers is what I understand and and there's just been like record amounts of marine mammal deaths from, you know, sea lions, uh, dolphins, and, and and whales. Yeah, you also had some very interesting human portraits on um, the exhibit as well, like the Lucian resilience um, that she wishes, and also the two spirits. Uh, I can see those yeah. were very like detailed and, and very, very nice to be honest and. I just wanted to know your input on how you went about making those and and how what inspired that. Yes. So, um, like, early on, every once in a while, people would come up to me and say, or ask if I'd be willing to do a human print. And, um, and you know, we're talking about, you know, live people. And the majority of these people, actually all of them, in the beginning anyway, right. um, they they would just come up to me and like ask for a vanity print, you know, like um, can you print me or can you print this person? I've even had a strange one asking me to print their ex girlfriend because she's hot, and I was like, no, I'm gonna stay away from that. It's kind of weird. Wow. And so, and also like I've I've yeah really, and so I've I've seen human prints before, 
and they they looked really creepy. They looked like cadavers, and, and it just didn't look like something that I wanted to do. And it wasn't until the whole Black Lives Matter um, event was happening, and um, uh, it, it there, you know, I, me being a, a minority as well, you know, I, I dealt with all kinds of stuff growing up, mm-hmm. um, and so. Like I, I wanted to participate somehow, and I'm, I'm not any good at speeches or, or, or anything like that. I was really struggling, you know, because I, I wanted to be some sort of voice and, and like, have my input in it. And then my uh, a friend of mine asked me or told me, you know, do what you, you know, do what you're good at, you know, make art. And I was like, oh yeah, duh. And so. Um, I invited a, a friend over, um, a black friend of mine, and I was like, hey, hey, let me borrow your, your, your hand. Let me like print the fist, like in the Black Lives um, Matter uh, logo. Right. And I printed that, and I posted up on, it on Instagram, and like I didn't really think of it. I just felt like I had to do something. I wanted to do something. Uh, and so I posted it up, and the very next day, like my inbox and and everything was just completely filled with messages asking how they could get a, um, a copy of it, a, a print of it. I was like, I don't know. I, I didn't think that far ahead. And so what I thought was, okay, how about this? Any, any of you who want a copy of this print, you know, send $50 to whatever black community outreach that you like show me the receipt and send me 10 bucks for shipping and I'll send it to you. And we ended up like raising like $4,000 within a week. And, wow. and that's what started my whole, um, the, the printing human thing. And I thought, you know, if we could do this with a fist, like maybe it's not vanity prints that we should be looking for. It's, it's, um, real, like, powerful human stories. And so then we started reaching out to like social workers and um, asking for, asking them to be like our ears and eyes, eyes and ears, uh, and to like, you know, listen for and look out for really, really powerful human stories. And then these stories started coming in. Um, and then we, we started getting introduced to um, people, you know, on the outside, they look like regular people, but then, you listen to their stories, and they're just very harrowing and really powerful, and very sad, uh, yeah, right. very inspiring. You know, cause the, the art pieces, pieces that you make with the um, with the human portraits are very detailed, and and you can actually see a lot in it, and the, the depth in in the art and all that. I don't know all the descriptive art terms, but it's it's very descri- like descriptive, and the paint paints a real picture. Especially once you read the description yeah, of it, I, so yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, those are what are I'm really um, excited about. You know, fish printing is one thing; it's fun, and I, I enjoy it. But it, my passion really goes into these these human ones. What would be your um, favorite piece that you've made at the show? Um, yeah, I think my favorite experience was probably probably the the football fish, just because it was, you know, it was just this rare fish, and we were just surrounded by scientists, and everyone was just uh, 
just so excited about the whole process, and, and it was like like natural history in the making. It was, it was really neat to be a part of. But uh, as far as like the actual um, art piece, my favorite one is probably the one called uh, the the wishes one, the portrait of the the woman, the sex trafficking survivor. Oh yeah, the um, dandelion. Yeah, the dandelion one. Well, speaking of those, we uh, we did see the three human portraits you had on display there, and there was the two spirits, dash dashed wishes and Aletian res- resilience. If uh, I remember. Yeah, Lucian. And yeah. I know that there was the three descriptions there pretty much tell the story, but I'd like to get it from your point of view. Can you uh, give it, like, you can do, if you do all three, that's great. If just one, that's fine. Uh, you mentioned Dashed Wishes, so I guess we can start with that one. Can you give us a story behind that and how that came to be? Yeah, so there's a social worker who um, introduced us to this lady um, so she's a sex trafficking survivor. She's, um, her story is that she got sold off by her stepdad when she was 12 to the sex trade and she escaped it when she was 18. Like I, I would read news articles about things like this, but you know, I, you know, I would shake my head, read it and say, wow, you know, that's awful. But then it would sort of end there and I was really ignorant to the whole subject. Um, but when she described everything, it, um, it was hard not to like imagine my own kid in in a in a terrible situation like that, and it was just heart wrenching. It was really it was really awful, and you can't help but to think like, wow, it's, life can be so unfair. It's like, how does this stuff happen? And so we printed her, so the process was with every one of these human subjects, we print their face first. We listen to their story, we talk to them, we print their face, and then I spend the next several months trying to figure out how to go about it, how to compose it so that, uh, and what things from nature to use um, to finish their portrait so that it, you know, the, the things from nature also tell the story. And so for her, it was a real struggle. I think for her, it was it, with her portrait. It took me the longest time because um, I really didn't want to rush it. And it wasn't until one day I, was, I you know, I, I took my kid to the um, to the park, and he was playing with the other kids. And you know, the kids would take a break, and they would pick pick up dandelion seed puffs and you know, make a wish and and blow on them. And, you know, all their wishes were really like frivolous and trivial, and like I want a new Lego set or, or I want new shoes or, or you know things like that. And I immediately thought back on her and, and thought, you know, I, I'm sure there's so many wishes that, like these carefree ones that she would love to have made but wasn't able to because of where she was and what she, all this the, the nonsense that she was made to do. Um, and so that's how I decided, okay, we're going to turn her into a dandelion and, and compose her hair filled with, I don't know how many hundreds of dandelion seeds, um, to represent that. Two spirits. That's, that was a really interesting, very eye opening one for me. Um, so we were in Oregon and, uh, some folks said, oh, you really need to meet this guy. 
He's an elder of the Sletz tribe, uh, and he has a wonderful story to tell. And so when I met him, one of the first things that he he said to me was, uh, "I'm gay," and I was like, "I don't care." But you know, like you know, inside I was like, "Okay, whatever." But like, I didn't know what to say to that because that, that's not what I was expecting. And so I said, "Oh, you must have had a, a rough childhood." And he said, no, that's actually exactly what I wanted to talk to you about today. I've never been mocked or teased within the nation. I was like, really? How is that possible? And so he explained to me that within a lot of the indigenous tribes, there's a a shared word, and and it loosely translates as two spirits, and meaning someone who's gay, lesbian, trans, non-binary is a is a person whose body contains both the spirit of a man and a woman. And instead of being mocked and ostracized like in mainstream uh, culture, like ours, for being different, instead they're considered such a rarity that they're celebrated instead. I was like, wow, that is incredible. You know, I, it's such a small twist in perspective and all of a sudden it's very inclusive. And um, and so with with his portrait, uh, he loves bas- basketry, by the way, uh, creating baskets. And typically in the tribes, that's done by the women. But you know, he he really enjoys it. That's what he does for a living. And so, um, if you look at the portrait, you'll see like weavings and basketry uh, to represent his uh, uh, female side, and then. Typically, the males wear uh, decorate their headdresses and whatnot with eagle feathers, and and, and so I printed eagle feathers uh, to represent his male side. And what yeah. about the uh, al- al- excuse me, I, oh, right. Aleutian yeah. resilience part? Yeah, so that one, um, that was that was a neat history lesson for me. So. Um, you know, a lot of us know or are aware of Japanese Americans being interned during World War II because they were considered a threat, and so they they were placed in, in camps, like, very far away, and a lot of them lost their homes, and a lot of them, I mean, they all lost their businesses, and they, I mean, their lives got, you know, uprooted. Um, you know, it's interesting, because, like, it happened to them, but I don't think it happened to Italian Americans or German Americans. Anyway, but what I didn't know is that during the same period, um, um, the indigenous people on the Aleutian Alaskan islands, they were interned as well. And, and that's something I I thought it was only Japanese Americans, but they were interned as well. Um, and I quote, for their safety. And so they were moved from their island to another place in Alaska, to the mainland, and what I was told is that a lot of them didn't, like, didn't know what the mainland part of Alaska was. And see, if you ever go to the Aleutian chain, like, there, it's a, it's a part of Alaska that has no trees. There's no trees. There's no large animals. In fact, the largest animal is probably like the seagull and a, and a bald eagle. But it's it, it's very different. And all of a sudden, they find themselves being transported to a, an abandoned factory to 
figure out, out how to live in. And then, you know, now they're surrounded by trees. And now they're surrounded by like very large animals. Um, and I've heard a, what I was told is a large number of them ended up dying for all like sorts of reasons. And uh, it was just another one of those, you know, colonization stories that that went bad, you know, and, and uh, yeah, it was pretty eye-opening. And so, you know, talking to this guy, he's um, the chief there, and, you know, he spoke about colonization, colonization and, and um you know, basically trying to, like, wipe out their culture. Um, because, when you know, when they came back, all their homes were gone, and, and their businesses were gone, everything was gone. And so they had to rebuild again once they were allowed to go back. Um, but he, he emphasized that, you know, they don't want to hate, um, but they don't want to forget either. Um, and so they want to stand strong um, and resilient, like the... The, the plant life on the on their island and the plant life there is such a windswept island like the plants have to be really really strong and have just be really really resilient and so we decided that we were going to recreate his um, body um, wearing one of their traditional uh, sea mammal hunting parkas and these parkas are quilted and so in each quilt <clears throat> Is is like one different type of of specimen, a botanical specimen that you find on that island. And in some of those um, quilted um, squares, like I didn't want it to be contained, and so you'll see some of the squares, uh, the plant life is like emerging out of it because you know you can't really, you cannot contain life. You know it, it. yeah, and the it way you spaced all of that out and everything's true. very detailed and artistic, I'd probably never yeah. be able to do that that well. <laughs> but um, tracing back to uh, like some of your earlier beginnings, where did you like, or like when did you first start to show off your art when you felt you know got the hang of it or you really were going to pursue the marine art, the goyotaku? Oh, um, this art. Well, I don't know. That I started this hobby. I mean, it was all, you know, it started out as a hobby about 15 years ago. And I never really showed anyone except for, like, close friends. And, like, even some of them were, like, shaking their heads and saying, yeah, do I, I don't, you know, it's kind of ugly. Um, but it wasn't until maybe five years ago where I started feeling a lot more confident about, you know, the direction I was going and, and the quality of the work. And, um, yeah, I think like five years ago is when I decided I was going to try to do this full time. And it's, it's been that way ever since. Um, and I think like personally, it's the last two years that, that have been like good enough for me to look back and say, Hey, you know, I'm actually proud of these. These are, these are pretty good. Right, so it's been like a steady process to where now you can look back and be like, the journey's been great because the art now looks yeah. amazing. Thank you, appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to look at stuff in the in in the in the beginning, and I you know I hope that like every year I can look back at the previous year and say, yeah, 
I can do a lot better now. Do you see yourself um, pursuing like any other types of of art to create for your um, for your like exhibits, like instead of just marine life? Any other? Uh, oh yeah. Um, I mean, we do like we've had opportunities to print um, land-based botanicals, land animals. Like I printed a deer. I printed. Um, I had a client ask me to print a rat before, and that was interesting. Um, it, it turned out really nicely, but um, turtles, um, birds. Birds have been really popular. Um, been working with the museum on, on those. Um, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. you mentioned turtles because one of your uh, artworks, the juvenile green sea turtle, you mentioned you use a process oh, yeah. called uh, suminagashi. Excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, can you elaborate yeah. on that process and what that is? Okay, so um, the turtle itself is, is remains in the gyotaku style. Suminagashi is... So in Japanese, sumi is ink, and then nagashi is to... Uh, it means flow. Um, so, like... It's literally printing water. Um, it's actually very similar to like I don't know if you've ever seen the process for for marbling a, a bowling ball. You know they, they'll like float a bunch of heavy paint. I don't know how heavy it is, but paint on, on on the surface of water or something, and they'll dip the bowling ball in it, and they'll they'll get that marbling. It's essentially the same thing. So you have a a, a vat of water, um, and then you float the sumi ink on it, it's a little trickier than than it seems. It's a lot of fun, but it's pretty tricky. It's very hard to control. Um, it's like, you know, if you imagine trying to control water, it's just like that. And then once you have the pattern that you like on the water, on the surface of the water, then you dip the paper in there and get it out. And then it's... It, it looks like, you know, flowing waves, or it can look like a branch, or, or whatever. Uh, but that's to me not So I noticed in a lot, some of your art, you mentioned how, traditionally speaking, the fish would be taken from a profile point of view. Uh, but you mm-hmm. didn't do that for some of your artworks, and you said it was to get it, to give it a bit more life. What really sparked you to kind of break tradition like that? Yeah, so typically, geotarchal prints are done on the broadest side of the fish. Um, and that's usually easiest, and that's the most straightforward. It wasn't until... So, um, I wanted to print koi, uh, the carp, the koi fish that you see in the gardens and stuff. And I would print them, you know, broadsided on the, on the flat side. And I would show people, and they'd say, oh, yeah, that's a nice fish, but what is it? And I was like, oh, but you're missing it. Because it's such a nostalgic fish for me. I, mean, I probably not just me. I, uh, I think I tend to think a lot of Asians would feel the same way. And it's like, how do I get this so that it reads like you know one of these garden koi ponds? And I realized, oh, it needs to be bred from the top. I need to be able. To, I need to figure out how to print this thing from the top because that's how people see it. And so. Um, figured out a way, a process. Um, there's a few extra steps to do it. It's, it's tricky, but it, it's, it's definitely possible to print it from the top. And by doing that, or having done that, people then see it and they're like, oh, I know exactly what that is. I've, 
I've seen that at the Japanese gardens. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's what started that whole venture of, of printing things at different angles and twists and turns and whatnot. I do have a further question. I found your art inspiring, if I'm being completely honest. I love anything from East Asian culture, so when I saw your exhibit was on display, I, I kind of jumped on to cover it. Um, and it was breathtaking to see the process and the final results. And my final question would be, if someone wanted to follow your art and do it themselves, maybe they felt inspired by what you did, or maybe they are like, hey, maybe this doesn't have to be fish. Maybe I can take something from my culture and put it into this style, kind of merge the cultures a bit. What would be your advice uh -huh. to them? My main advice, I think, would be to... This is something that I that I, I see pretty often. Um, for example, like um, in Eastern cultures, uh, like if you mess up on something, a, a lot of folks, a lot of artists will just, you know, they'll throw it away and they'll do it again. And they'll just repeat that process over and over and over because there's, there's so much emphasis on, on, perfecting their process rather than trying to make something perfect. And I think a lot of Westerners um, get too bogged down with trying to create something perfect without perfecting their process. And, and that really only comes with a whole lot of repetition. Um, if you think about like, um, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, fight the urge of correcting something or fight the urge of covering something up or covering up one of your mistakes or accepting a mistake. Instead, you know, just it's just a sheet of paper. Like, who cares? Throw it away. Do it again. I mean, it doesn't take that long to make a second attempt, a third attempt, and I guarantee it's going to be it's going to get better and better and better as you dial in. Um, yeah, I think that would be like my main advice. All right. Well, I guess the last question is, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience before we end the interview here? Um, go see the show. You know, it looks cool on Instagram, but like it looks way better in person. All right. Well, thank you for doing this interview with us, Dwight. Yeah, of course. I appreciate your time. That concludes today's RB interview with Dwight Hang. Thanks again to Dwight Hang for his insight on his traditional Giotoku paintings on exhibit at the Minnesota Marine Arts Museum. Be sure to look Dwight up on www.dwighthang.com. For more conversations on art, tune in to Art Beat Tuesdays at 12.30 right here on 89.5 KQAL. I'm VJ Heron, joined by Giovanni Bermudez, and we've just heard from Giotoku artist Dwight Hang on Art Beat. Art Beat is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Visit us on the web at kqal.org.